0: It's wonderful to be here in Los Angeles There's a strange Rashi in this week's Parsha It needs to be understood very deeply We all know this week's Parsha that Yaakov falls asleep And there's a ladder And the Malachim are going up and down the ladder Thank you for inviting us into your home. Rashi says that Hashem needed to protect Yaakov Avinu from the Malachim who wanted to kill him. It's not not part of the story we grow up with, no? It's not in the little Medrash says version of Judaism. We're assuming these Malachim, they're going up and down. We never think that the Malachim wanted to kill Yaakov Avinu and that Hashem needed to protect him. So why did Hashem need to protect the Malachim? Why did the Malachim want to kill Yaakov Avinu? The Chesav cipher explains that they wanted to kill Yaakov Avinu for falling asleep at the Makam Mitzvah. That's a very strange thing. First of all, we know that Yaakov Avinu had just come from Yeshiva Hashem Ve'eber. In Yeshiva Hashem Ve'eber, Yaakov Avinu didn't sleep for 14 years. So it seems like Yaakov Avinu made a conscious decision that in order for him to be here at this place, he needs to go to sleep. So clearly there's something going on. Yaakov Avinu is capable of not sleeping for 14 years. But he makes the decision now in this place to go to sleep. And the Malachim want to kill him for that. But Hashem sees fit to protect him. We're not exactly sure. Did he do the right thing? Did he do the wrong thing? What was Yaakov thinking? Why were the Malachim so upset? But then when you take a look at the Gemara and Chulin, the Gemara and Chulin makes it even more perplexing. Gemara and Chulin says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said that Sa'adik has come to my lodging place, Sa'adik has come to my house, the future site of the Beis HaMikdash, and he's going to leave without sleeping, he's going to leave without resting for the night. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu made a miracle, and the sun set early, so that Yaakov Minu should specifically be able to sleep. It's like a like HaKadosh Baruch was the first Jewish mother, you're going to leave, you have nothing to eat, you know, like it's, uh, you're going to leave without, without sleeping <laughs> over, so HaKadosh Baruch made the sun set, so obviously Yaakov Avinu went to sleep, you can imagine it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon and all of a sudden the sun sets, Yaakov Avinu must have understood that it was important for him to go to sleep, so not only did Yaakov Avinu make a conscious decision that he has to go to sleep, it seems that HaKadosh Baruch was encouraging him to make that decision. So now we're further perplexed. Why does HaKadosh Baruch want Yaakov Avinu to go to sleep? And why are, not, why are the Malachim so upset? There's another Medrash. Beautiful Medrash. We know that Yaakov Avinu wakes up from his sleep. And the word for waking up from his sleep in Hebrew is Meishinaso. He's waking up from his sleep. But the Medrash says that he's waking up from his learning. Shinaso can also be and he woke up from his learning. So, usually sleep and learning are exactly the opposite of each other. I remember when I was in, uh, when I was in high school, my father never went to yeshiva. My father was a Shuva, so he never had the opportunity to go to yeshiva, except maybe yeshiva. And my father was astounded that boys in yeshiva would go to sleep in the middle of sheer. You know that boys do this sometimes? All the time? Are you familiar with this? That a, a boy will fall asleep in his Gemara and, like, the Gemaras have wrinkles. Girls don't know this. You know the Gemaras have wrinkles from boys falling asleep on the pages. In some ways, it's a very beautiful thing. Like it's their it's their pillow. They love it so much. You know, but <laughs> usually sleep and learning. I guess they go together in some sense, but they don't go to, they don't go together in another sense, right? It's, if you're sleeping, you're not learning. So what does it mean that Yaakovino awoke from his slumber? That he awoke from his learning. He was learning. He was sleeping. So what does the Medrash mean? We know that Yaakov Avinu was the first person to call the Beis HaMikdash a bias. Right Up until then, Yitzchak Avinu called it a field. Right? He was lasuach basada, he was on a field. The first person to ever describe the Beis HaMikdash as a home, as a place of a relationship, was Yaakov Avinu. What's the significance of this? There's a Medrash in Parshish Naso. The Medrash in Parshish Naso... There's different reasons that are given in Chazal why Hakadosh Baruch Hu created the world. I'm sure you've heard, let's say, from the Ramchal, brings from early Mekubalim that Hakadosh Baruch Hu created the world because He wanted to bestow goodness upon another. You've heard of the Ramchal before. He wanted to share Himself. He was the ultimate Balchasin. It's not what the Medrash says. The Medrash says Nesave Hakadosh Baruch Hu lios <laughs> That why did Hashem create the world? Because he wanted to have a dwelling place in the world down below. A deer. What's a deer? A deer is a bias. A deer is a home. A Kodesh Baruch wants to build a home with us. That's what he wants. How do we know when a person has built a home? I remember when I was first married. You know, you move into this apartment, and my wife and I were learning in Kola, and we had no money. And nobody was giving us any money. So we lived in a basement apartment in Farahkawi. And every time we showered, the apartment flooded. The entire apartment (laughs) flooded. It was a real Kailal apartment. And the ceiling was very, very low. And I was like, I'm not very tall, but I could stick my hand up and like palm the ceiling. But when you look back on your first apartment, you'll see. That's like a special place, right? That's like where you began your relationship. But at the same time, when you first start a relationship with someone, you're not very comfortable. No, it's like in the very beginning when you're married to somebody, it's like um, you're testing the waters. Like, how does it work? Like, can I be myself yet? Am I comfortable? My daughter just got engaged on Maté Chávez, and I left America Sunday night. So, <laughs> but, you know, and, and they dated for a very short amount of time. Dated for three weeks. They showed him at the time. And there's a that's considered, you know, pretty regular in that community. So, okay, it's cute. Did you you wonder, like, how's she going to marry this guy? She knows him for three weeks. They went out on all of, depending on how you count it, you know, seven, maybe eight dates, right? Like, but my wife told me tonight that, uh, that Benyamin, the Hassan, he came over. And uh, I was, you know, I was feeling pretty. I'm honest, I was feeling a little sad. You know, like I love being here, but I wanna I wanna see that. I wanna like he came over for dinner and my wife ordered pizza and he was hanging out with my I have a five and a half year old son and my wife's like messaging me like he's really good with you know with our son Mikey, he's really good, and I'll be like a good older brother, and I'm like, I'm missing it, right? But my wife said she's astounded by how comfortable my daughter and Ben are. And if, I'm, I'm frankly astounded by it also. I mean, they had very long dates. They had like, one date was like eight and a half hours, one date was like ten hours. I, I think they like each other. <laughs> I'm, I'm hopeful. But they're very comfortable with each other. And it's, it's unusual, because that's not really the way a couple is, right? You're testing the waters, you're feeling each other out, so to speak. right? You're saying, like, how does this, you know, what's it like to be with this person? A couple of also wants to be comfortable in our world. But HaKadosh Baruch can't be comfortable in our world because our world is not a place that invites Hashem in. The physical world speaks in a certain sense. And when we look at the physical world, the physical world does not demand a God. We look at a chair, we look at a table, your home certainly proclaims that there's a God. It's a very Sephardic home, <laughs> you know. You walk into this home, it's like already telling you there's a god and he's watching and you're going to get punished. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very beautiful home. Yeah? But most, most things in the physical world, where are you from originally? I was born in Israel, but my parents are from Morocco. Morocco. I was a tough moms, in Morocco. Yeah. <laughs> I've met some. <laughs> yeah. But the, the physical world, when you look at it, a chair doesn't tell you that there's a god. A chair tells you I'm a chair doesn't tell you anything more than that. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't feel comfortable in our world because it's not a world that says we come from God. It's a world that says we're independent from God. It's a world that says you can, you can have free will, you can make your own choices, you can do whatever you want. That's what our world says. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not comfortable in our world. When will HaKadosh Baruch Hu be comfortable in our world? When we invite Him in. And what does it look like to invite a color sparholder? A young woman called me to talk to me about something that's going on in her dating life. It's a fascinating conversation. She said, I'm very uncomfortable with this with this guy because he is unbelievable at honesty and vulnerability. So I'm thinking to myself, that, that's a good thing, right? Like He's not lying to you. He's honest and he's vulnerable, right? And she's like, no, it's terrifying. Because he is exactly who he says he is. And he's totally comfortable putting himself out there. And he's like, look, if we're going to get married, I just want you to know this is what I struggle with. And she's feeling like so overwhelmed. He's like, I'm not telling him what I struggle with. I'm not being in that space with him. Because vulnerability can be terrifying, no? Because what if you get rejected? HaKadosh will only feel comfortable with us when we invite Him in, not into the higher aspects of our life, but into the lower aspects of our life. That's why the Ramchal says, it's really from the Tamidei Ramchal, but the Ramchal says that when will Mashiach come? When we invite Hashem into our mitzvos, into our averos, and even into our suffering. Mitzvos, tshuva, and yisurin. Tamidei Ramchal says that spells out the word matai. The first letters of mitzvah, tshuva, and yisurin Spells out the word when. When will Mashiach come? When we invite Hashem into our mitzvos, meaning when we stop doing mitzvos by rote, when we start doing mitzvos because it's what Hakadosh Baruch Hu wants from us, which is no small thing, right? Because we get used to doing things for the people that we love. So my wife asks me to take out the garbage, I don't make a hineni mukhan mazuman l'kayim mitzvah sasne shmiya haisha. You know, I'm not a but but in a certain sense, there's a love, right? If your wife asks you to do something, you do it. But it's also easy to just do it because it's become a habit. So one level of bringing Hashem into your world is bringing Him into the higher elements. I'm doing what Hashem wants, but I'm not just doing it. I'm doing it with my heart. And there's another level, a much harder level. When you do the wrong thing, can you invite Hashem? Can you be honest in those conversations? Can you say to Hashem, "Yeah, I messed up. I'm human." I have taivas, I'm not always perfect. I know you know that I'm not perfect because you created me this way. But can you be honest and say, you know, I'm struggling with this. Can you have a conversation with God where you're real? That's no small feat. And that's really what tshuva is. Tshuva has become this thing in today's generation of like, you know, how hard you can clap Hashem, Yom Kippur. But that's not really what tshuva is, right? Tshuva is not limited to, you know, Asayasim et tshuva, Rosh Hashan, Kippur. It, it's it's every day in our life engaging our own frailties. We're not supposed to be perfect. So when we invite Hashem in and we say, "Look, these are the issues we're struggling with," that's tshuva. And of course, the hardest one is to invite Hashem into your suffering. I remember um, many years ago, somebody in my family was diagnosed with a, a terrible illness. Like one of the one of the illnesses that you hope you never hear those words you know what I mean and I wasn't processing the pain I was I was younger and I didn't know especially because I'm male I didn't know about processing my feelings I didn't know I didn't know that that was allowed or that was encouraged or what feelings were you know it was a, I was not raised in 2022 where there's that environment of like leaning into the discomfort of the work these are things I learned much later and uh, I remember I had a dream. I don't remember what the dream was but I woke myself up from the dream and I felt that there were tears on my face and I must have been crying during the dream and obviously it was one way or another the feelings are going to come up and because I wasn't paying attention to them they were coming up while I was sleeping and I remember that I called my Rebbe and it was like 3 o'clock in the morning I called my Rebbe in America and I was talking to him and I said I'm so angry at Hashem right now I'm just so angry like how could this happen? And my rabbi didn't say anything, he just listened. It wasn't the time to like say to me, like, ashtafakli, this is, you know. He just listening to me. And um, my rabbi asked me, what do you need? What are you looking for here? What do you need? So I remember I said, I want to know that Hashem is with me, suffering with me. That he's not just somewhere in Shamayim like, flicking his finger and making things happen. I want to know that he's suffering as much as I and my Rebbe told me that he is. And that's the nature of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does, that when he sends us down to Mitzrayim, he comes with us into Mitzrayim. And that he's with us in our pain. And it was a tremendous source of comfort to me to know that I could bring godliness into my suffering because Hashem was also suffering with me. And there was, there was a, a major shift in my life after that conversation that I realized that suffering, which is the most human thing that we have, right, to do a mitzvah is not very human. To do a mitzvah is godly. To do an avera is human, but to suffer is the most human thing that we have. And to know that my suffering, not just like, everyone always talks about, oh, your suffering is not in vain. Something will come of it. Okay, but say that. That's very firm. But I'm not, I'm not worried about that. Right. But can you, can you engage the suffering? Can you find the, that spark of godliness within the suffering? Even, the people always have a need to say something like, I grew from it. Why do we have a need to say that? It's almost like, what if, what if we did it and it would be a waste? It's okay to say I'm in terrible pain and I'm not growing from it at all. Imagine if somebody came to someone who has a had cancer and said, yeah, but you'll grow from this. It's a terrible thing to say, you no? Know? It sounds even awful as I'm saying it to you right now. It's like, what human being would say that to another? But people have the need to say that to themselves. It made me a better person. It's okay if it didn't make you a better person. That's a lifetime achievement award. To, to become a better person because of your suffering is a... It's, it's a major... People say it like, well, I'm like you know, 21 years old, yeah, but I became a better person. No, you didn't. You haven't relived the trauma through your marriage, through your children, right? Like, give yourself time. Talk to me when you're in your 60s. Then we can see whether or not you've become a better person. But, until that point that you've become a better person, there's value in knowing that there's godliness in suffering. That you're not... You're not alone in your suffering. That you can introduce Hashem even into your suffering. That's what it means to build a bias with somebody. What does it mean to build a relationship? To build a relationship exists on three levels. Of course it means to do something for the people that we love. That's the obvious part. But frankly, that's the easiest part. right? If your husband asks you to do something, and you do it, like, okay, good for you, that's what it's supposed to be, right? That's, that's, the, that's the easy part. The harder part is coming to say, I'm sorry. I really did something I shouldn't have done. I didn't act in a way that's befitting of this relationship. Can you come to the people that you love and say, it's not the person that I want to be. It doesn't represent my best self. You should know that the love that I had for you is much larger than this action would indicate. That's really very vulnerable. That's a very hard thing to do. But if you want to give the gift of love to somebody that you really care about, It's having the courage to lean into the discomfort and say, I messed up and I'm sorry. The hardest thing to do is when we're in pain, to find each other in our pain. That's like when couples fight, and sometimes couples fight for days, and sometimes couples fight for weeks, some fight for months, and even for years, sometimes even for decades. And there are couples, not from a place of weakness, there are couples from, from a place of love that can't possibly be captured in words, somehow they stay with each other. You know what I mean? It's not logical that they stay with each other. They'd probably be happier if they didn't. But there's some, something that's binding them, that it's transcendent, and that they can continue to find each other in that place. And they're loyal to each other, even while they really don't like each other. And they, they continue to play that game of hide-and-go-seek. And there's these moments that these couples have. Moments, not, lo- not long moments, but moments where they're like, it's good again. It, it, it's like, I remember when we were younger and it was good, and, it, and it's good again. Maybe it's for a day or two or a week or two. And then it fades, and they're right back to that struggle. But can they find each other in their suffering? That's what it means to build a home with people. And not just the suffering that we have with each other, but the suffering that inevitably comes with life. The couple that, that they're in their 80s, and they're sitting on that front porch, you know, that screened-in front porch, in their rocking chairs, you know that couple? And they're just sitting next to each other not saying anything, and they're perfectly content, and they're not on their phones, you know what I mean? Just like sitting there like enjoying being with each other. And there's no words that they could possibly say. It's just two people who have spent a lifetime staying with each other through all the natural trials and tribulations that life brings. I remember um, I was in my Rebbe's kitchen once in Borough Park. and very, very small kitchen. And it was a small table and I was sitting on one side and my Rebbe was sitting next to me and the Rebbe was sitting right across. And they were in their 80s at the time. And my Rebbe Kanayahara is 94 years old. She was her before Shalome. He's not feeling so well. But um, I was looking at the re- refrigerator, and there was a picture on the refrigerator of my rebbe's family. And my rebbe had eight children, and most of those eight children had eight children, and most of those eight children had eight children. And you know, when it comes to making a wedding, like you can only invite like a certain amount of cousins, because right? at some point, like, it'd be eight, nine hundred people naturally. So this particular wedding, that there was a picture on the fridge of this wedding, I guess it had everybody was there, and the photographer was clearly like 50 feet back with a wide lens, there was just like a massive amount of people sitting around my Rebbe and the Rebetzin. So I commented to my Rebbe, I said, Rebbe, it looks more like a clan, than a family, like it's like massive. So my Rebbe said something from him, like, yeah, Bar HaShem, yeah. But the Rebetzin, also she was after a first but she I think in 1991, Robinson was a very very famous marriage therapist in Brooklyn and maybe was like a real brisker So he had like very little emotion like was a He was like a real like London a real man the Robinson was a marriage therapist and she was like Like a deeply emotional person. They have very they have a very fascinating marriage I remember once in my house. There was a picture of a very dark forest Like a portrait a very beautiful painting and then right next to it was a portrait of like a very beautiful meadow and I was sitting with my Rebbe, and he looks at me and he goes, that's my wife, and that's me. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like Rebbe, how, do, how does the meadow and the forest live together? He goes, oh, that's a different story. <laughs> and like, uh, anyway, so the Rebbe's, and my Rebbe said, Baruch Hashem. And the Rabbitson looked at him, and she said, you know, all from a couple of kids that had no idea what they were doing. You know, when they got married, when they were in their early 20s, and they built a life together for 60-plus years. They had no idea what they were doing when they were 20, 21, 22 years old. But they lived life together, and they suffered. You know, there's sickness, there's death, there's tragedy. It's like it's not easy to raise children. But a couple that stays with each other, that suffers, but hold on to each other in the the storm, that's a real relationship, you know? That's why we celebrate couples that are married for 50 years. If you go to one of those things, like, somebody's been married for 50 years, and everyone there is like, how they do it, you know, like it, it's like the celebration, but all the married couples there are like, I don't get it. <laughs> like it's the, it's a beautiful thing. That's what it means to build a bias. This is what Yaakov Avinu said: Our relationship with Hashem has to be like. Right. It can't be, it can't be worship, not in the classic sense. We don't go to church in Judaism. We come home. And not that it's a good thing, but that's why Jews talk in shul we shouldn't talk in shul but isn't it true that for us shul is like it's like a home no it's where you it's where you grew up like when you get older you'll realize this more you'll start talking about the shul that you grew up in and you won't talk about it as like a place of worship it's not where you went to sing hymns you know it's it's where you went to you know it's not it's not where you went to turn pages of a siddur it's where you go. It's where all the families that you know go, right? It's the people that are with you throughout your entire life. My brother told me, he said, if, if you can't get a job coming out of the Jewish community, something has gone very wrong. Because you know people, right? You went to camp with people, you went to shul with people, you went to school with people, you went to sem with people. If you're an accountant in the Jewish world and you can't get a job, it means you have real social dysfunctions. <laughs> like, everybody you know is an accountant. I mean, now Kanye West said it out loud, so like we're not allowed to say it out loud anymore. But yeah, we do kind of control a lot of things, right? Like, <laughs> we're good at this. <laughs> it's not that many Jews in the NBA, so like we have our things that we're good at. You know, but uh, Judaism is meant to be a home. This is what Akkodeshwarku says to Yaakov. If you're gonna build a home with me, it needs to be a place where you sleep. What does that mean? The Gemara says is the 60th of death. Other Marishon brought death into the world. When other Marishon sinned, up until that point, there was never supposed to be any death. Death is a cosmic accident. And other HaRishon not eaten from the Eitz Adas, he would have eaten from the Eitz Achayim on Shabbos. He would have lived forever. There was no notion of death. He was in limbo. It wasn't clear what other Marishon was going to be a person that dies or a person that lives forever. Eating from the Eitz Adas. Elder Marisha brought death into the world. There's various times in our lives. There's what we call seminary time, and then there's post-seminary time. Right? Seminary life is like Yaakov Avinu when he was in Yeshiva Shein there. No sleep. Not just because girls in seminary don't sleep, because they're, they're having very important, sophisticated conversations at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Life changing conversations that really shape the way they see the world. You remember those? Yeah? You look back on them now, a little funny, right? We're not making fun of it. We're just enjoying the, uh, the people that we once were, no? There's a time for that. There's a time to live in a pristine state. There's a time to be in San Henry. And there's a time to not have any worries about anything in the world. There's a time to just live your best life and be on a high all the time, right? That's, a, that's life without death. That's pristine. Yeshiva, shame, and And then there's real life. There's life when you leave sin. There's life when you come out into the world. And then there's a little bit of death. There's the ups and downs, the vicissitudes of life. All of a sudden, life is not so simple, right? All of a sudden, it's um, confronting reality, confronting the challenges, the imperfections all of a sudden are surfacing. It's easy to be, like if you're a boxer, before you go into the ring against your opponent, it's easy to be perfect when you're sparring. But when you get into the ring and you're now with somebody, now all of a sudden the inadequacies show up. A couple, a couple months ago, a girl from a long time ago from Tomerovo reached out to me and she said, "I just don't know what happened to that person in seminary. Like, where did she go?" I was like, "Well, she was living in a bubble for you know, like a minute. You know, so like, of course she was this amazing person when she was in seminary. But She wasn't very real. She hadn't put on any real muscle. She hadn't done anything in life." Now you're in a real position. You, there's a state of sleep. There's a state of... If we're being honest with each other, there's a there's a lack of inspiration, right? Like, it's easy to be inspired when you're surrounded by inspiration all the time. But when you leave, and not that Los Angeles doesn't have a tremendous amount of Kedusha, I'm sure it does, but it's not Eretz Yisrael. I know you're shaking your head. It, we're, we're, we're finding the Kedusha in Los Angeles. We're doing it right now. Yeah, But it's not Eretz Yisrael. My, uh, my nephew who made Aliyah he's like little he's 13 years old so the Shabbos before my daughter got engaged that, that morning I said I said I said I want to tell you a secret Racha's getting engaged and he goes I want to tell you a secret everybody knows <laughs> so he said how do you get engaged so I thought he was asking me like how do they do it here in Eretz Israel? I thought he understood what the word engagement so I said you go to the Kota so he goes well how do they do it in America I realized he didn't know what it meant. <laughs> like, like, if you go to the kotel together, then you're engaged. Like, it's like a natural thing, you know? It's like, no, no, it's a whole thing. Like, you have to ask her if she wants to marry you. It's like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> like, you, you can do that anyway, you know? But, um, but it's true. In Eretz well you can go to the kotel. Like, that's a beautiful thing. My daughters, before they go to Sem, they're like, go to the kotel, to the Daven. There's a, there's a more obvious Kedusha. The inspiration is is much it's much more in the streets. It's it's much more natural. And you come back to Los Angeles, but you're confronting you're confronting Dallas, you're confronting exile, you're confronting that sense of, of sleepiness in your life, the fact that we are not always in the mood to Daven. Or even when we're davening, sometimes we should be making a tefillah Sadarish because we're so so far away from the place that we're standing, right? The rough of my Shul likes to say that uh, the first time you have kavana in davening is by the shir shalyom, because you have to think about what day it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, there's a sense of, of, of sleepiness. Mm-hmm. But that's why I Baruch tells Yaakov, you know, to go to sleep. To go to sleep doesn't mean to die. It means to be able to find the kedusha within that sense of sleepiness in our life. When we feel distant from Hashem, can we still feel close to Hashem in our state of distance? And what I need to say is, sometimes the distance brings about feelings of closeness, no? That when you feel so far from something, you're like, I feel so very far from this, and I wish I didn't. So the fact that you wish you didn't is in and of itself the feeling of closeness. It's like when when a couple says to each other, I miss you. The distance is what creates the closeness. So the malachim are going up and down the ladder, and they see other face faces on the kiseiakovet. And we know that chazal tells us that Yaakov Vinu looked exactly the same as other marishon, and Yosef looked the same as Yaakov, but that's a different story. So the malachim are going up and down. And they're looking at Yaakov Vinu, and he's sleeping. And they're saying, "You did the same exact thing as other marishon. Other marishon brought death to the world, and now in this place, in this holy, holy place, you're going to sleep. I, I want to kill you." If you're, going to, if you're going to act in a way of death, I'm going to treat you in a way of death. So the Allah said, if you're going to live like that, so then we're going to kill you. But the Kaddish Baruch Hu said to the malachim, no, no, this is exactly what I want. I want In Yeshiva Sheba Eber, Yaakov Vinu was perfect. But now he's not perfect anymore. But the Godless of Yaakov Vinu is that he can reveal the beauty of imperfection. That he can go to sleep in the Makam Mikdash, That he can be in two places at once. In the holiest place in the world... And he could also be so very distant from the holiest place in the world. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. It's the distance that comes from closeness and the closeness that comes from distance. So HaKadosh Baruch protects Yaakov Vina. He says, this is exactly what I wanted. This is the secret of the stones. We all know how did Yaakov Vina go to sleep. He took 12 stones and he put them around his head. And why did he put them around his head? What does Chazal say? To protect him from wild animals. So obviously this can't be the, the, just the simple explanation, because that's not the way protection works. Like If you're afraid of wild animals, and you only put 12 stones around your head, you're not very protected. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with how animals work. They don't go, oh, well, he's got stones around his head, forget it. Right? That's not like... I've never seen a bear look at a person lying down sleeping and going... It's too much. There's like 12 pebbles around. (laughs) So obviously it doesn't mean that. There was a reason the Akavdini was protecting his head specifically. as we'll speak about in a moment. And we all know what happened, that the stones got together, and the stones became one stone, and that was his pillow. And we know that that stone became the foundation stone for the Vesamekdash. So, what's the deeper meaning here? Our world is a fractured world. 12 stones, not one. It's a place where there's a level of dichotomy, where a person can have cognitive dissonance. Because we don't see the truth of the world. As we said before, when you look at the chair, the chair doesn't proclaim Hashem's existence. The chair tells you, I'm a chair. So there's something fractured about our world. If the world was truly united, if the world was truly unified, <laughs> then when you would look at a chair, you would see Hashem. You would be able to see the inner godliness that exists within everything. And that's what it will be like in Olam Abba. In my Abba, when you look at the world, you'll see the reality that's driving reality. Or to put it in relationship terms, you'll stop seeing each other for the physical self that you are, and you'll see who the real person is. We get distracted by each other's physical selves, no? Like right now, we're all looking at each other, and we're seeing each other, but it's not the physical me that's talking to the physical you. Of course not. That's why modesty is so important, because modesty tells us you can ignore what's being presented physically to see what's beyond the physical. That's what modesty really means. Modesty is not about inches. Modesty is about a way of seeing you so that the real you can be seen. It's what allows for real relationships to occur. What what we want more than anything is to be seen, no? That's when we feel safe in a relationship, when someone sees us for who we really are. This is what Yaakov was saying. I'm going to sleep in this place. I'm going to surround my head by the fractured nature of the world. I'm going to engage the fractured nature of the world. That's, his, that's the way that Yaakov saw everything. He saw the fractured nature of the world, And he said, I want to engage that. I want to reveal the inner godliness. I want to unite it all. That's why the 12 stones represent the 12 shvatim. And the 12 shvatim, when they come together to be one stone, that's the cornerstone for the Beis HaMikdash. It's the foundation stone for the Beis HaMikdash. Of course, when we have sinaschinum, what do we do? We're breaking up that foundation stone back into the 12 stones. Which is why the Beis HaMikdash can't last as long as Kali Yisrael is fighting with each other your you your Ashkenaz, your Hasidish, your you your Litvish, your modern Orthodox, your open Orthodox, you're conservative, your Reformed, your, Has- your Haredi, these are all labels for communities. HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't have these labels. I can't imagine that Hashem gets any nachas in Shammai and sitting and saying, like, that Jew is conservative and that Jew is Orthodox, so they shouldn't talk to each other. I can't believe HaKadosh Baruch Hu gets any nachas from that. HaKadosh Baruch only knows Jews. That's, That's what he wants from us more than anything. If we're united inside our family, then naturally we're uniting the entire world. So, Yaakov Vinu says, I'm going to confront the wild animals of the world. What are the wild animals? He wasn't talking about bears. He wasn't talking about tigers or lions. He was talking about the Nefesh HaBahamis. He was talking about the animal soul that all of us have. The animal soul is what tells us we exist independently from Hashem. So he says, I need to protect myself in, as I'm going out to love and as I'm going out into the world, I need to protect myself from chas and falling into the trap that I'm separate and removed from Hashem. Which is why always in Chassidus, we say that the Chabad is what leads to the Chagat. The Chachma bin Adas leads to the Chesed and the to that the way that a person sees the world is the emotions that come up. Yaakov, Vinu, protects his head. He says, I need to see the world correctly. I need to be able to unite the entire world. That's the purpose of all of existence, is to bring up Baruch Hu into this <laughs> world. If you look at the words that Yaakov, says, He says, and this is the house of God and I didn't even know. But if you look carefully at the words, I mistranslated it just now. It says, Loyadati. And I, I did not know. It says I twice. So the Hasidic masters explain, Va'anohi Loyadati means that in order for me to be connected to Hashem, I need to not know my I. I need to not know my own ego. Ego is where relationships go to die. There's a friend of mine, I think some of you might know him, his name is uh, Wanglin. Some of you girls know Wanglin? Wanglin has this line, he says, your ego is trying to kill you. You've heard this from him before? I like that line. Relationships are about making space for each other. How could there be space for each other if we fill up that space with our own ego? That's why sometimes when you meet a guy, like at first glance, you might go like, oh, he's good looking, but then he opens his mouth. You know you know that guy? Looking around just to see which of you know that guy. It seems that about 75% of you know that guy. And the other 25% are either really good at playing poker or also know that guy. Yeah? Or maybe you're, maybe you're innocent, but more likely we all know that guy. You know what I'm talking about? And like, all of a sudden it's like, no. <laughs> it's not a thing. Yeah? It's not a move. It's not a vibe. It's not hype. I'm hanging out with 18-year-old boys way too much. I'm learning all these words. I learned this one this year. Bet. Which the appropriate response is... Word. It's a very high-level, sophisticated dialogue that these boys have. When that guy opens up his mouth and he says uh, whatever he says about himself, it's like there's no space for you. You know that. You know he's just self-obsessed. It's just uncomfortable. I wouldn't want to share with you because it's like if you you know if you share with somebody and they go, "Yeah, I had the same thing," and then they tell you their own story, it's like <laughs> could you just allow my story to be the story for a second, right? You don't need to respond by telling your own story. Va'Anochi Yadati means if we're going to build a bias with Hashem, then we need to remove our ego. And that's what Yaakov Vinu did. And that's why Yaakov Vinu didn't die. And the Morning says, Yaakov Vinu lo Yaakov Vinu has nothing to do with death. Because Yaakov Vinu was the Tikkun for the chait of Adam Marisham. Adam Marisham was all about ego. Hashem says, don't eat from the Eitzadas. His ego says, yes, eat from the Eitzadas. That's why he brings death into the world. But Yaakov knows how to reveal the godliness within death. That's the, that's the sleeping. He knows how to reveal the, the godliness within the lack, within the absence. So Yaakov doesn't die. We only die because our parts don't work together, no? Because at some point, the heart is too frail to send blood to the rest of the body. But what would it be if somebody lived totally... Emist, Totally truthfully. Totally connected to Hashem. No ego whatsoever. Maybe their parts wouldn't diminish. Maybe there would be no such thing as fragility. So Yaakov Avinu, in a certain sense, is the ultimate expression of the Tikkun of Adam Arisham, because he doesn't die. And I think that's what we're trying to do. At this stage in your lives, for those that are a little bit younger, and perhaps even for those that are a little bit older, At this stage, what we're trying to do is confront reality. If you're not inspired, I just want you to know that's okay. That's what it's supposed to be. If you make mistakes and you're feeling like you've taken three steps backwards, I just want you to know that's what it's supposed to be. Now the question is, can you reveal the godliness from this new place, from the challenges that come up? Can you, in a certain sense... Be awake even when you're sleeping. As the Pasuk says, Ani yashena valibi air. I'm sleeping, but my heart is awake. On the outside, some of us are sleeping. We are not as passionate, perhaps, as we once were. But on the other hand, our hearts are so awake. Because we long. We long for that connection. We yearn. Those are not words that are used enough. Longing and yearning are very powerful words. It's... Yes, I'm distant, but I'm so deeply connected. And my bracha for you, because Chazal say, I'll take Don't take lightly the bracha of a simple person. So we should all bless each other. That even in our state of sleepiness, you should know that you're sleeping at the makam mikdash You're sleeping at the very foundation stone of all of creation. And the Pasuk says, even pina. That, that, that foundation stone, it's Mis, it's disgusting. It's not a beautiful stone. It's broken in so many different ways. But it's from the brokenness that comes the wholeness. And that's ultimately, the foundation stone of our lives. So rather than running away from the challenges, the trials, the tribulations, the suffering, the pain, the imperfection, let's lean into all of that. Let's find Hashem within this session will build a beautiful Vice-Name in Beit for Akhadush Baruch, for ourselves, Pinyana Deha. Thank you very much. Thank you.